0: with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Okay. Well, hello, hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Wherever you are in the world at this time, welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, helping you find your courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. I am so happy to be with you here this day. Hey, guess what? It is the first day of July 2022. Can you believe it? We are in July, and don't blink, because before you know it, we're going to be singing Christmas carols or songs or or however you celebrate the holiday season coming up in the fall slash winter months. So but for now, we are just starting with the month of July and just I want to wish everybody just an early 4th of July weekend out there. It's uh, interesting. I've been talking to a couple of uh, Uh, emergency room doctor friends of mine and uh, those who are working this weekend and they say this is going to be the busiest uh, well, it is the busiest day of the year the weekend for them uh, just because uh, things that get mixed together that shouldn't be mixed like alcohol and um, fireworks and so that, uh, you know, in their mind that's never a good combination because they often see people come in with missing fingers and third degree burns and everything else so I tell you what, folks Be very, very careful out there. Celebrate, of course. Celebrate, celebrate. This is a time for coming together with family and friends and potato salad and everything else. But please do it responsibly. Please do it responsibly. So anyway, so again, just wish everybody just an early uh, happy 4th of July. So. Uh, As I start off each week with these broadcasts, I just want to remind people who just might be tuning in for the very first time that uh, each and every week, each and every Friday at 3 o'clock in uh, Eastern Standard Time in the afternoon, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. Very intentional, very specific, this topic. Well, I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or if you want to leave me your comments about today's show, I just invite you to visit our website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity, all one word there. So www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would like to call in and be part of the show, I invite you to do that. Here is the 800 number. It's 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I will be taking your calls in the second half of the show. And uh, also just wanted to remind everybody that these broadcasts are also podcasted in case you want to go back and listen again uh, to this particular show. Or if you want to go back into the archives and listen to previous shows, again, invite you to do that in case you've missed an episode or couldn't stay a whole hour with me at one point or another. Or if you're just um, going down the list and something, you know, catches your eye and you want to hear more about it. So just, again, you can go on the website and just look in the archives. And just click on that. You'll be able to pull it right up and listen to it. And I appreciate that. Well, how is your heart today? I uh, hope your heart is well. I hope you are well. I hope all is well with your soul. And I hope that if you are even struggling the littlest, the least bit today, I pray that you will find rest, comfort, and the peace that you need psychologically, emotionally, physically, even spiritually. And so, uh, again, for the sake of those who might be tuning in for the very first time, I always just like to share just at the very beginning um, just two deep-seated beliefs in myself that have helped shape my outlook on uh, why this show is uh, titled Reclaiming Authenticity. And the first is that I truly believe that people have the answers within themselves, uh, because, and, and this is what I mean by that, uh, because you know the kind of life you want to live. You know how you feel, you know what brings you peace and joy and hope and happiness and, and so forth, and you know what doesn't. And The second is I also believe that everybody comes into this world with what they already need in terms of this life, in in terms, I should say, of their gifts and talents and graces and skills and the very best parts of who you are. But uh, we often go through life, and we experience some pretty unpleasant events, or perhaps we find ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we end up suffering some pretty traumatic injuries. And... uh, though these experiences we have, that we may have the the tendency to stop believing in ourselves, um, that uh, because of these things that have happened to us, or because of our past and so forth, that um, we just don't really believe anymore that we are filled with our values and dignity and worth, and that might just cause us to want to hide our giftedness, to hide the very best parts of ourselves, so let's say that these will not be exploited by others. But uh, either way, we often end up going through life, you know, just being in relationship with one another from a place of woundedness, and and uh, we get frustrated and angry, and we just can't find any satisfaction and, and peace in this life. And instead, I think we're all intended to be in relationship with one another from a place of healing and wholeness. But we may still have a lot of work to do in terms of our own healing, and wholeness. And this is the whole point of reclaiming authenticity, helping people discover what has always been in them. Well, as I said, welcome to the month of July, and uh, I don't know about you, but the past couple of weeks or so, I've just been getting messages and dreams and just other things coming to me, Um, and it's the same message, and it gives me a lot of hope because the messages have been about transformation or moving from death to life or walking in newness in life and certainly leaving the past behind us without forgetting the lessons we've learned along the way and that's huge that is huge okay because I uh, just want to remind you of a just a a, a a well well used quote it's that those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it And that actually came from George Santayana. He's an Italian poet, a philosopher, um, all-around good statesman. And um, basically what he said was just, uh, in other words, the mistakes will be perpetuated over and over again until people see the, the, the total falsehood of their destructive actions and attitudes and assumptions. Now, you might be more familiar with um, Winston Churchill, who used part of this, or I should say he paraphrased this uh, quote from Santayana when he was addressing the British Parliament in 1948, although he actually said that those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. Well, I've been thinking a lot about the Lion King. Okay, and maybe some of you have seen it on Broadway, maybe you've seen, you know, the Disney version of it or the adaptations and so forth. Okay. But there's this one scene that just goes hand in hand with this, you know, people who do not learn from the mistakes that they make, you know, from history are forever doomed to repeat it if you remember the scene, it is when Simba, the lion is trying to come to terms with who he is. And he has this um, Serengeti kind of moment with Rafiki. And uh, he's the wise uh, animal in there. And, um, you know, he, they go into this lesson of, well, who are you? And uh, Simba just didn't know. And, um, you know, at one point, The, um, I should say Rafiki, you know, just hits him over the head with his staff. And, uh, you know, of course, Simba, you know, just says, ow, what'd you do that for? And Rafiki, without missing a beat, says, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because it's in the past. And right away, Simba says, yeah, but it still hurts. And Rafiki comes in with the classic line. Yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it. Or learn from it. Okay? Not bad for Disney. You got to give Disney its props on that one. Okay, so it, all saying the same thing, you know, that uh, those who cannot learn from history, those who cannot learn from the mistakes, you're going to keep repeating them. I'm going to keep repeating them. Everybody has to learn with what's been coming before us so that we do not just continually make the same mistakes or just, you know, uh, kick the uh, emotional, psychological, physical, and even spiritual cans down the road and say, not my problem. And again, in, when we do that, all the while, innocent people become hurt. Well, this quote from the Lion King and from Winston Churchill and actually from Santayana himself actually has bearing on today's theme of the sterilization of American history, rethinking cognitive dissonance. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure that you've seen in the news the fact that uh, the National Museum of the American Latino will probably not be completed for at least another 10 years, but this huge step was taken towards its realization It's coming, but they're going to do some things in the meantime, and this realization when the future Smithsonian Museum's first exhibit opened up as what being referred to as a pop-up on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Now, for centuries, we have diverse Latino communities who have played very foundational roles in building the United States and shaping its national culture. And within the Latino communities, uh, there are just rich history and legacies that uh, just predate well, well, well before the United States was ever thought about becoming the United States. And these are deeply rooted in our country's pursuit of democracy and freedom and a celebration of multiculturalism and economic opportunity. And their stories and perspectives really actually help us to to deepen our understanding of the United States and what it means to be American. And that's a quote from the National Museum of the American Latino. Well, back in December of 2020, there was a legislation, a piece of legislation that passed calling for the Smithsonian to establish the National Museum of the American Latino. And this new museum will be the cornerstone for visitors to come and walk the halls to learn how Latinos have contributed and continue to contribute to the United States through their art, their history, their culture. And their science. And additionally, it will serve as a gateway to um, other exhibitions and collections and programming at other Smithsonian museums and research centers and traveling exhibition services. Now, there is an article from NPR that was, I believe, was back in June 18th, just like I said, a few weeks ago. And it was entitled Present Day. And uh, that's what they're calling this uh, National Museum of the American Latino. And this present day covers four themes, colonial legacies, war and U.S. expansion, immigration stories, and the shaping of the nation. Okay, again, let's uh, say that uh, famous quote together, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Okay, just keep that in the back of your mind, because I find it interesting, you know, that there are over 35,000 museums throughout the United States, and each museum is unique in and of itself, and they all focus on a specific time in history or humanities achievements, and uh, also focusing on individuals who exemplify, let's say, the American spirit. Now, indeed, you can certainly get an education simply by spending hours and hours walking up and down the corridors and, you know, these museums and reading descriptive tags under photos and gadgets and paintings. However, what I find equally astonishing is that not every museum always displays and tells the whole story. Because oftentimes, museums will put on a good face for the public. You know, that is, offering seminars and free tours and and even invite guest speakers to promote these programs. But still, there are many times when the, shall we say, the ugliness of American crimes against humanity remains hidden from the public eye. And this exclusion often creates this cognitive dissonance Throughout society, whereby there's a distortion of our perception of, let's say, inconsistent information. In other words, when our beliefs and actions do not line up. And a classic example of this, you know, I can give is like, well, I know that smoking is bad for me, versus, but I'm a heavy smoker. So I either have to quit or I have to justify my smoking. That's cognitive dissonance. Okay, and um, just staying with this just a little bit more, and trust me, it'll come, we'll tie it back into what's going on with (laughs) American museums. Um, A social psychologist, uh, I believe her name is uh, Carol um, Tavris, she wrote a book, and it's, it's, it's entitled Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me, Why We Justify Foolish Beliefs, Bad Decisions, and Hurtful Acts. Hey, this uh, might even be an essay that she wrote. And um, she also had written an essay on design flaws that occur in our brains that cause us to lie to ourselves about horrific mistakes we've made. And then we go and we make them again. Because she says, that, uh, she goes on to say that most people, when directly confronted by evidence that they're wrong, do not change their point of view or course of action, but actually justify it even more persistently. I mean, even irrefutable evidence is rarely enough to pierce that mental armor of self-justification, to quote Ms. Taverns. Well, furthermore, in this horrifying web of self-deception, the greater the pain we inflict on others— the greater the need to justify it to maintain our feelings of decency and self-worth in other words it doesn't matter what i do to somebody i'm still a good person and you know and so on and so forth there's like no repentance there's no remorse there's no what can i do to make amends and so forth now I know my audience out there, and and you're probably 10 steps ahead of me right now by thinking, what does cognitive dissonance have to do with genocide and museums and not learning from the mistakes of history? Everything. Again, those who fail to learn from their mistakes in the past are destined to repeat them. So what are the mistakes that you know, from our past, that humanity keeps making over and over again. What are, what are the mistakes that keep us from continually going down the road of destructive actions or or just destructive attitudes and assumptions? Well, interestingly enough, the westernized world of mental health therapy and medicine and spirituality and theology um I think they also have to discover the benefit of knowing how history continues to speak through the living. And perhaps despite what we've been taught in biology or theology or psychology classes, various personal experiences reveal that history, aka, that is, the dead, do speak in many different ways. In fact, they speak to us in our dreams. Through our conditioned behaviors or attitudes and perceptions or thought processes or learned helplessness or work ethics or interpersonal relationships and phobias and addictions and so forth, all handed down to us from one generation after another. Perhaps you might even know somebody in your family who has a certain mannerism that is a spitting image of a deceased relative whom they've never met. And in my family, as my grandmother who always used to tell me that I reminded her of her deceased grandfather who died in the coal mines when my father was two years old. Uh, you know, she used to say, you know, whenever you sit like that and hold your head a certain way or the way you laugh, you always remind me of George. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just uncanny because, I, like I said, I wasn't even born yet, never even met the man. But she says, you know, just by what you do. You know, you remind me of him. And um, as a boy, I didn't know what she meant for the longest time, but for her, it was as if George continues to live on in the family. And indeed, he does. Well, family secrets and personal stories of injustices that were intended to be taken to the grave also live on in present generations. In fact, You know, those so-called family and society secrets are often revealed again and again and again through unhealed traumas that have been passed down through the language of blood and the voice of the soul. In fact, for all of our feeble attempts to sanitize human history, blood that has been spilt in the name of murder, genocide, manifest destiny, cover-ups, the doctrine of discovery, Slavery, forced starvation, encampments, lynching, exterminations, to name a few, are still evident in both not only the land that holds the energy where the blood was shed, but it also has a tendency to ensnare the souls there. And interesting, you know, these these phenomena are especially true when such violent crimes against humanity were committed in the name of God. And this is something that still baffles me to this day. It's like, how do we use the name of God to justify? Is, just, is this just another form of cognitive dissonance? Well, perhaps it is and this fundamental belief um, that's often used in the name of god to justify such mistreatment of humanity is what kevin annett you know who is the foundation of or the founder i should say of the international tribunal into crimes of church and state he often describes it as this that when god is on our side we can commit any crime because we believe we are absolved individually from that crime believing we have a higher sanction, and that's the danger of religion. It allows people to do that. So how did we get here? Well, let's take a trip down memory lane uh, with the Doctrine of Discovery. And the emphasis of the Doctrine of Discovery was due to its dependence on the collaboration of the church and state uh, that cemented the fate of indigenous people. And popes had given their blessing and anointed these rulers as representatives, as sanctified conquerors, to go forth and confiscate and control other lands of anything they discovered not already claimed by Christian rulers. In other words, the Catholic Church treated indigenous peoples as if they were animals, they had no European title to the land on which they lived. And, and here's a good example. Forty years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, you know, 1492, okay, it was uh, Pope Nicholas V. He issued uh, to King Alfonso V of Portugal the Romanus Pontifex, or the Doctrine of Discovery. And this doctrine specifically sanctioned war on all non-Christian people. And gave explorers such as Columbus and Cortez and Pizarro and Cook and Hudson and all the rest, both legal and moral license, to do whatever they wanted to do, and and they could do anything they wanted to do, to the people in the lands that they encountered. And these explorers not only carried the papal authority to conquer and colonize and exploit all non-Christian lands, but also to capture and vanquish and subdue enemies— Uh, and other enemies of of, the the Christian church and take their possessions and property. And this papal bull, as it's referred to, was often viewed as an extension of the socio-political theological stance of the Crusades, you know, medieval centuries of military campaigns that that were designed to expand the territory of Christendom across Europe and Africa and the Middle East. And although these crusades stretched from the 11th to the 15th centuries, they had no shortage of volunteers who, all were absolved from their sins, all the while killing in the name of God those who did not follow Christianity. So, um, by the time Columbus sailed in 1492, he, you know, had the authorization to take possession of any lands he discovered that were not under the, the dominion of any Christian rulers. And furthermore, in 1493, a year later, Pope Alexander issued the Intercetera, which uh, granted Spain's Catholic King and Queen Ferdinand and Isabella uh, the right to conquer lands which Columbus had already found, as well as any lands which Spain might discover in the future, including any people discovered in such lands would be subjugated and brought to the faith itself and this act ensured the christian empire would continue to expand throughout the brutal acts of genocide committed by these explorers and his and their men against indigenous people of the caribbean and other places okay and um in 1992 the indigenous law instituted spearhead of the movement to revoke this inter cetera the doctrine of discovery and over 60 indigenous delegates drafted a declaration of vision at the parliament of world religions back in 94 okay and they they wrote we call upon the people of conscience in the roman catholic hierarchy to persuade then pope john paul ii to formally revoke the Bull, or the Doctrine of Discovery, of May 4th, 1493, which would restore our fundamental human rights. And that papal document called for our nations and peoples to be subjugated so the Christian Empire and its doctrines would be propagated. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court ruling of Johnson and McIntosh uh, in 1823 adopted the same principle of subjugation expressed in the Doctrine of Discovery, and this papal bull has been and continues to be devastating to our religions, our cultures, and the survival of our populations. Now, interestingly enough, uh, last year, in 2021, it was the Bishop of Syracuse, uh, Douglas Lucia, uh, the Bishop of Syracuse, New York, spoke out against the Doctrine of Discovery. And he urged Pope Francis to renounce this doctrine, but to date, no such renunciation has occurred. So again, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are forever doomed to repeat it. It just keeps occurring and reoccurring and reoccurring. Now, by the mid-18th century, Spain really sought to extend its claims in Northwest California, as well as strengthening defenses against the English and Russian empires who were also seeking their claims. And... Again, this perspective was seen again as the divine right in, you know, set forth in 1493 when the law granted Spain's dominion over all lands that Columbus had located. Okay. Now, in 1769, just a few hundred years later, uh, Spain sent Franciscan Father Junipero Serra – does that name ring a bell? Uh, – to not only spread the gospel – By building a series of missions along the California coast, but also to make the indigenous people productive and loyal members of the new colony. Now, although Father Sarah is given credit for building nine of these missions, you know, a total of twenty-one missions were built, and they still are still there today. But prior to Pope Francis canonizing Father Sarah, the Vatican held firm its belief that Sarah was a man of his time. In fact, Father Sarah helped Spain colonize California by converting thousands and thousands of indigenous people to Catholicism. On the other hand, for many descendants of Native American Indians and other indigenous people, Father Sarah was the one responsible for destroying their ancestors' traditional way of life. For example, In exchange for their labor, Father Sarah was the one who promised the Native American Indians and other indigenous people abundant food and gifts, but they were quickly enslaved in these missions in which they lived and worked and worshipped under the authority of the Spanish priests and soldiers. I mean, their, their whole Native way of life, their language, culture, religion, were now stripped from them in exchange for adopting the Spanish ways of life. And I take a quote out of Castillo's book, and he says, The goal of Christianizing the Indians was a failure, due largely to the Franciscan belief that it was unnecessary to teach the Indians proper Spanish, or for the friars, with a few exceptions, to learn the native tongues, so that they can fully explain Christian doctrine to the people. When... Decades later, in 1833, the Indians were freed. Many of them manifested their resentment and anger toward the friars by immediately casting aside their Catholicism. Further, the Spanish government required the teaching of Christian doctrine only in Spanish and not in any native language. Well, in an interview with Vincent Medina... He's the assistant museum director at San Francisco's Mission Dolores. Um, It is recorded that native people were enslaved in those missions. They were whipped if they spoke their language. If they tried to escape, they were forcibly brought back and flogged and punished and kept in stocks. And the people were getting diseases. There were horrible places to be and so forth. And... uh, um, others have noted that this treatment reflected an attitude common at that time that missionaries could and should treat their wards like children, including the use of corporal punishment. Okay. So this theme of how many villages does it take to raise a child or destroy a child's life is something that we're going to take a look at in the second half of the show, as well as if we are going to be building museums that, by all means, absolutely should uphold and enhance various ways of life and to honor the history of a people, let's tell the whole story. Let's be honest with what happened Instead of just trying to whitewash over the whole thing and to sanitize American history. Because again, every generation has to learn these lessons or they will forever repeat those lessons and the attitudes and the assumptions that still plague people today. Well, I'd really love to hear your heart on this matter. So if you would like to call in and to be part of the show, I invite you to call in. That number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And as I said, I'll be taking your calls after the break. You are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. Hey, welcome back. I'm Dr. James How, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about how museums and other public places that display historical artifacts and pictures, etc., often put on a good face to present to the public. But still, there are many other aspects of American history that are not displayed, and you have to wonder why. Why don't we get the full history of a people that is to be celebrated? And uh, although I started off the show with uh, focusing on the National Museum of the American Latino uh, or Latino American, um, I in no way am picking on the uh, American Latino. In fact, um, I think all cultures need to be celebrated uh, for certainly there is just a rich history in uh, a people But when the American history comes along, and especially if it's going to be placed in Washington, D.C., it's going to have a tendency to put on a good face and scrub it up and make it nice and shiny, and by all means, highlight the achievements of a great people. But should we just wink at the fact that during the colonial days or the colonial era of American history, That, well, that was just the way it was, or there's nothing we can do about it now. Well, again, let's go back to that quote I started with uh, those who do not learn from history are forever doomed to repeat it. Because even though the colonization is not going on today, and a lot of these aspects have occurred centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries ago, still the attitudes the perspectives the prejudices and so forth you know for for the most part have gone unchecked you know there are there are still pockets of of cultures that experience tremendous tremendous hate crimes and tremendous just um Pain and suffering, you know, politically or theologically or within society itself. Okay. So... I ended the first half of the show just by tossing out there this, uh, again, uh, another quote that we like to kick around in society, that it often takes a village to raise a child. And uh, when you look back over American history or even world history, and you look back over the um, just... In one form or another, let's say the indigenous boarding schools and so forth, uh, we find that it's not just one person. It's not just one village, but they're often entangled together, just a conglomerate of the, let's say, religion or politics or the educational system or something that that no one aspect um, in society worked by themselves okay so it was interesting this theme of how many villages within the church and state does it take to hide histories of abuse and neglect and genocide even continues to this day and if you recall back in 2015 that's when pope francis visited the united states and that's when he officially made father unipero a saint at a mass that he celebrated at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. And, ironically, to canonize a saint who was considered instrumental in American history, as well as marking this ceremony in the American capital, was hailed by some as a great day in the Catholic Church. However, you know, there was one um, Archbishop, Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, he called the canonization of Father Sarah the most important dimension of the Pope's visit to the United States. Still, others viewed the event as just another example of how the church and the state work together to perpetuate centuries of socioeconomic prejudices or oppressive attitudes and contempt for people who are considered weak and wounded. And moreover, years prior to the Pope's visit to the United States, Catholics advocated for Native American Indians and other indigenous people around the country. They were asking the Church to not only recognize this terrible history in the Church's past, but also to understand the concern indigenous people have for the canonization of such a figure. And also back in 2015, it was in February, long before Pope Francis visited, uh, in an open letter to Pope Francis uh, written by Valentin Lopez. He was chairman of the Ama Mutsen Tribal Band. He stated his disapproval for the canonization of Junipero Serra because the missions that are all up and down the California coast were brutal on Native Americans and indigenous people. And uh, he wrote, the reality of the California mission system has yet to be accurately taught in California schools or recognized by the Catholic Church. All right, okay, this is 2015. Elementary school children tour mission grounds and are taught that Native people were docile and childlike savage pagans, and they were saved by the king and benevolent padres. But in reality... The human remains of thousands of indigenous people are scattered beneath the grounds of the missions that were built by indigenous slaves as garrisons for the church and the Spanish crown. Indigenous people died of rape and beatings and diseases introduced by the Spanish conquistadors in California. And Spanish priests did little to recognize indigenous people as humans and didn't come to their rescue when women were being raped by soldiers and settlers. And with an over 90% indigenous mortality rate, Sarah hardly saved many souls. Now, just between you and me, I would like to walk. The 21 missions of the California coast—they're on, you know, or near Highway 101. Uh, it's called the California Historical Mission Trail. It's about a 650-mile trek. Uh, now, call it a bucket list thing—is just something I feel like I I need to do, um, just to see for myself. But again, um, this letter that was sent, and and just the insensitivity that many people felt—that in spite of the history. Again, Pope Francis just canonized Father uh, Unipero, Sarah. So what's going on here? Is it just blatant disregard for history? Or is it just a lack of learning the lessons from the past so we keep making those mistakes over and over again? I don't know. You tell me. But, you know, there is another aspect of, let's say, intergenerational trauma that haunts a people who have been victimized over and over and over again. That that seems to go hand in hand with, uh, you know, a people or uh, or a community's inability to move on, and that's the public apology. And I'm sure you're like me. You've noticed within recent decades there's been a steady stream of public apologies made on behalf of government and ecclesiastical leaders for the inhumane treatment, sexual abuses, prejudice behavior, and outright slaughter of people from many cultural backgrounds. And the the public acknowledgement of such behavior comes often as a result of uncovering crimes against humanity or investigative reporting and or the work of truth commissions, just to name a few. Okay, and albeit a step in the right direction. Okay, I'm not poo pooing the idea of public apologies, but albeit a step in the right direction, some people believe that these public apologies for the historical atrocities uh, often include what I would call just an air of dismissive justification. Again, cognitive dissonance, of, well, that's the way the world was back then. And this explanation for the mistreatment of people for the greater good of a nation or a world. Uh, eh, I'll take time out right now, and I'll just throw out two words for you. Chavez Ravine. Okay, If you know the history uh, of California, you know that Chavez Ravine has a rich history of the Latino population. Rich, rich history. And uh, if any of you this, uh, actually I think it's Tuesday after the 4th of July celebration, if any of you out there are going to be watching the um, uh, All-Star Game, baseball All-Star Game, it's going to be held in Los Angeles. Dodger Stadium. Now, what in the world does Dodger Stadium have to do with Chavez Ravine? I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to let you search that one out, okay? Because it's it's interesting. You got eminent domain in there. You got you know, let's say the people of Chavez Ravine when they're you know pulled a fast one on them, and a lot of people who are forced out of their homes and so forth, all for the sake of Let's say taking possession of prime real estate and building Dodger Stadium back in the 1960s. OK, but I'm not going to say anything more about that. I'll tell you what. Do your own research. Come up with your own conclusions. But just if you're going to watch the All-Star Game and Dodger Stadium this year on Tuesday night. OK, just start connecting the dots. That's all I'm going to say right and and so anyway getting back to um you know public apologies uh in a sense you know the contemporary leaders you know of today you know often are, often offer an apology for the past without accepting any responsibility for doing anything wrong let alone not acknowledging being part of let's say socioeconomic or political or educational and or religious systems that still perpetuate oppressive schemes again those who fail to learn the lessons from history will be forever doomed to repeat them okay so whether it was the advancement of science or manifest destiny or uh, a belief of oh I'm in the divine right or violence in one form or another It's always been justified against a weaker or undereducated, undercivilized, or an underdeveloped people. And this is not my opinion. Let history speak for itself. And ironically, this rationale for force always seems to come from the perspective of people who use their military might, or political power, or religious zeal, and or an outright lust to hang on to their piece of power and control for as long as possible. In fact, history often bears witness to this kind of phenomenon from generation to generation to generation. OK, and so, again, uh, just if you want to Google this, type in eminent domain and Chavez Ravine Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. OK, and uh, well, we'll come back to that one. But uh, let me know what you find. It's interesting to say the least. So how do you move beyond your past? How do you, as uh, again, let's pull a quote from The Lion King, how do you put your your uh, behind past you, okay, which, you know, Pumbaa got it wrong, so it's like, how do you put your past in the past, okay? How do you move on with your life without somebody saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter how educated you are or how much money you make, we know who you are. Because we have these preconceived notions, and we have these ideas about your type of people, and that's all you're ever going to be. And so systems are set up to kind of not give people a fair chance, not give them the same opportunities that everybody else does, or whatever the case may be. Okay? But how do you get past that? How do you, as a person who wants to get ahead in life or who wants to celebrate the richness of their history, the culture, the arts, the music, the customs, the norms, the languages, and so forth, how do you do that when you have other people saying, not so fast? Well, for one thing, you ignore the people who are saying, not so fast. They fully don't understand history. They fully do not recognize how the people who are considered weak and wounded, the vulnerable populations, the richness that they have brought, and how it was so easily discarded. So, by all means, the Latino American Museum, the National Museum of the Latino American, I should say, quote that properly, um, by all means, will I visit it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, because I do want to celebrate the American Latino. I want to celebrate all cultures, but I think they need to have a section of all museums that say um, it needs to begin with an apology, an apology or an acknowledgement, and then tell the whole story. Tell the whole story from a people who had to endure such atrocities and the resiliency that it stirred in them to pretty much say, you know what, didn't matter what you did to us in history, we're still here. We are still here. And you know, this is something I think I've shared with this audience already, but um, this was something that I learned from my Lakota friends who came out to Philadelphia area and they were out here just doing a weekend speaking engagement. And um, you know they they said hey let's let's run to Carlisle and they wanted to uh, see the uh, Carlisle uh, boarding school and the uh, cemetery that was there um, because you know they've never seen it before and I go are you sure you want to do this because I know the atrocities of the Carlisle Indian boarding school. And so they wanted to go. And um, when we got there, we walked the grounds and there was many tears. There was many, I feel sick to my stomach that this happened to my people and so forth. And we walked up and down the, you know, the cemetery lots and um, the tiny, tiny headstones that were there that had the names of the children who died um, at, at the boarding school. And there was uh, very few stones there compared to, again, the historical counts of, well, many children just went unreported. And I would say that the one thing that really hit me in my stomach was when I saw my friends stop and tear up over the headstones that were marked unknown. Like they had no idea. This child did not have a name. This they didn't recognize uh, the, this child's culture or what tribe they were from, whether they were Lakota, Cheyenne, you know, Apache, whatever. It was just no acknowledgement of that. And they stood there, or I should say, we stood there, and then we knelt. And one of my friends took out a pinch of tobacco and gave, made a little offering. And just said, uh, dear grandfather or grandmother, we acknowledge your life. We celebrate your life because we, your ancestors, are still here. And that made a huge impact on me. That when you have an indigenous people, when you have indigenous cultures who have been run roughshod over and through American history... Even though American history stories are not being told or shared, or you may not see them in museums or other displays that are going on, the people are still here. They haven't forgotten, and they continue the struggle because they still face policies and attitudes and assumptions that are against them. So, what has changed? Are we really learning the lessons of history? Or are we just kicking the can down the road for the next generation to try and figure it out? Well, folks, I don't have to tell you to go look at a newspaper or watch the evening news or even talk to your neighbors. We know what's going on. We know the world in which we live because it's the world in which in one way, in one form or another, we've created. When is it going to stop? When are we going to learn that enough It's enough that we don't just have to do better. We need to make a change. And the change first begins with us, with all of us. Speak up when public policy is against a certain group of people or it's going against just the basic human rights of everybody. The American people have been silent way too long. And that we could point to, well, I don't care, or it's not my problem, or well, I'm waiting for somebody else to do it. Those, those excuses, they don't fly anymore. We have to acknowledge the past if we are ever going to move on and have a secure future. Or we're going to end up annihilating ourselves. Everyone comes into this world already gifted and graced with the skills and talents and the very best parts of themselves, and why do we not recognize it? Is it because of skin color? Is it because of the religion they choose or the sexual orientation? What is it about America, what is it about humanity in general that, that just really struggles to look beyond the externals? And they fail to see what's in a person's heart what's in their soul, who they are as a soul. Let's not just do the right thing because. Let's do the right thing because we live in an echo. And what we send out comes back to us. And if we expect healing in our lives, we can't treat one another lousy. We cannot harm one another because we're harming ourselves. It's a reflection of who we are. And we have everything we need to be able to turn it around so that we're not sending out hatred or bitterness or rage or prejudices or any other type of messed up stereotype that's out there. But it has to begin with us. First and foremost, it has to begin with us. And that's how you learn from the past. That's how you learn from history. Learn history, find the mistakes, find the assumptions and the underlying values that drove those things, and work to correct them, first in ourselves and then with one another. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity thank you again for sharing this hour with me and I would very much appreciate your uh, comments uh, about today's show. If you're listening to it live or if you happen to be listening to it on a podcast, again, send me your comments at www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. Well, until next time, may everybody be safe, have a good, safe, pleasant 4th of July weekend. And um, again, Do a little research on Chavez Ravine. And if you're going to watch the all-star game at Dodger Stadium this year, uh, you'll know what I mean. Okay? So in the meantime, everybody be safe and God bless. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to... ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.